Welcome to the Think Data podcast, brought to you in partnership with DataWorks. If you want to stay up to date with the latest breakthroughs and trends in the world of data and artificial intelligence, and if you're curious about some of the strategies that companies and founders use to launch data and AI products, then you're in the right place. Our aim is to bring together a diverse lineup of fantastic guests, from the founders through to accomplished leaders and product owners at some of the most fascinating data and AI companies worldwide. They will each offer you their own unique insight into what it takes to launch and scale a great data business. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. This is episode 24 of the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. And today I'm really pleased to welcome Bryce York to the show. Bryce is the Director of Product Management for Tatari, and they are one of the world's leading platforms for buying and measuring advertising across linear and streaming TV. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time today to, to speak with me. I know we've uh, we've obviously met in person, we've spoken a number of times, but taking some time out of your day, it is, it is appreciated. So Tatari, super interesting business, uh, really kind of in-demand space from an AI standpoint where it comes to kind of media measurement and advertising. So would you mind kind of bringing it up to speed with ultimately who you are and what brought you to the US and then to Tatari? Yeah, absolutely, Alex. It's great to be here. Um, Thanks, looking Bryce. forward to it. It's been, uh, it's been time coming, so <laughs> it's good to, good to get on. Um, so a little bit about me, Bryce. I've been with um, Tatari for about four years. Um, but before that, this kind of machine learning and data thing has been a bit of a thread in my product career, which I've been doing for 10, 11 years, something like that. Um, in fact, I didn't really know it was product management right away, but I'll connect that dot in a minute. Uh, so back in 2015, won't take you all the way back to the start, but um, I got hired as employee number one at a boutique management consulting agency. They were doing really well teaching corporates, enterprise, big companies, Fortune 500 scale, how to innovate like startups. And so what that ended up really meaning was you were teaching them the lean startup, product management, and design thinking, uh, which is a pretty good place to get a start as a product manager, it turns out. And so what I was brought in to do was to take that successful service business and help them digitize and productize that, which meant taking their expert consultants with five or 10 years worth of experience and trying to put that expertise into a scalable platform. Um, so that turned out to be a really, really great formative ground um, for this kind of line of work. It really got me into this space of like taking an expert and turning it into a product and a platform and going beyond the level of expertise of like the if this, then that kind of stage that we were at a little bit back then and um, and really digging in there. So we ended up building that out and it did really well. Um, we did a million dollars in revenue in our first 14 months and wow. fast forward a while later and we actually got acquired by Deloitte Consulting. But in fact, actually, at this company, while I was while I was there about two years in, we hired an intern. Uh, he came in and he was just so good. This guy was an absolute rock star. And I don't use that lightly. And, and so when it came to the end of the internship, he was about to graduate and we're like, we'd love to hire you. Tell us what job is going to get you to, to stick around. And so he says, well, I'm really interested in this product management thing. That's what I'd really like to do and explore. Is that something you'd be interested in? I was like, let me think about it. And by think about it, I mean, Google it and find out what that <laughs> is. And then I went, hang on, that's what I've been doing, product management. I guess that's what this 
kind of field and career is. And that kind of kicked that off and really got me into this data analytics and machine learning. So fast forward a number of years, um, I was at a company called Finder. Um, those in the US um, might think of uh, might think of NerdWallet perhaps as a company in this space, comparison of credit cards and financial services. In the UK and Australia, you've probably heard of Finder. It's the number one in the world, but a little bit behind the number one in the US. Um, and so at that company, there was so much data. And that was mm. my first time getting into a bigger company where there was a ton of this data aspects so of millions of monthly visits, hundreds of thousands of pages. Um, and then it was with them that I actually ended up moving to the US to come along and, and head up the US division. A fact that I awesome. said that it was not number one, doesn't mean I didn't do a good job. Um, <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big market. Um, and so that was what brought me to the US. Uh, Australia is a great place uh, and has a really great startup community, but it's far from the rest of the world. And these days, far isn't necessarily time. It's the, no. the time zone. Everyone's asleep. Um, so that kind of makes it makes it challenging. And then I ended up joining Tatari accidentally. They kind of hit me up on LinkedIn um, and really loved the mission and the leadership. And so that was how I how I ended up uh, ended up here. Nice. Yeah, I like that story. And you're right. It's uh, wherever you are in the world, Australia always seems to either be awake or asleep. <laughs> There's no yeah. kind of uh, middle ground. You can never seem to reach anyone in Australia at the time you want to. So, yeah, and, and obviously, uh, US is classically and kind of cliched the land of opportunity. And you obviously grasped that and came over. And for those that are kind of listening to this who are not necessarily au fait with what media measurement is and media buying is, who are Tatari and how does AI help them? Yeah, you bet. Uh, so Tatari is a, an ad tech platform, which is focused on leveraging data and analytics to buy and measure TV advertising. Traditionally speaking, so the company is about seven, seven years old now. Um, I've been there for, for four years. Uh, so a good chunk of that journey. I joined about employee 41, now 300 people. So it's been through a lot of growth. When they started wow. out, TV was a different medium. Um, it was a high spend offline big risk channel. It worked really well, but you had to really be at a scale. The ticket to the ball game was in the millions of dollars, um, which is pretty intimidating as, a, as an advertiser. And so it was really this big hurdle where you kind of would run out of everything else and you'd reach this major scale where TV was an option. And one of the hardest parts of that was actually measuring and knowing what happened. And so you would basically have to construct these really contrived experiments, doing things like location-based geographic holdout groups. And so you would have to turn off all of your advertising, which as a business owner or a marketer is a pretty scary thing yeah. in a major geography, run the TV advertising there, and then see what happens and compare those results to each other. And you have to be running six or seven figures easily in order to be able to make that happen. And so Tatari really focused on taking the experience that the founders had had at a prior company um, where they kind of figured this out. They took people from their data science team and assigned them to this problem as an advertiser because they couldn't get behind the idea. And so then that yeah. formed the measurement piece. If you could measure customer acquisition cost from TV without having to do all this contrived stuff, then that starts to become a much more available and accessible channel. The challenge though, to do that the next day is really hard in an industry where most of the data takes a few days or a few weeks to actually arrive. And so mm -hmm. that was where the, the AI and machine learning really became critical early on of being able to predict and pull that data forward in time so that you could give people actionable information 
quickly. That's really interesting. And I know just as a consumer of media, uh, I think yeah. we've we've changed. I think back at you probably relate to this back in the day, you, you turn on the TV and if, if, if something wasn't on, well, you'd have to find something rubbish to watch. Then that was kind yeah. of, but now I'm guessing Tatari was set up, we said five or so years ago at that probably pivotal point when the way we are consuming media changed. Do you think that a lot of that success was down to timing? Was a lot placed on the, the data science and, and, and kind of uh, the analytics piece right really early on? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's less been a timing that was fortuitous. It actually made for a whole lot of extra work because you basically were running two businesses at one point, knowing full well that this streaming, that's kind of where the line really sits. If you turn it on, it's already playing and ads show up for everyone at the same time. That's what we think of as linear TV. And then anything that's on demand, you can think of as streaming TV. The lines okay. are more blurry in that, but that's basically the mental model I even still use. Um, and I have to think about it every day. And so when the streaming side came into it, um, it was really very different in a lot of ways. The measurement is entirely separate and the buying is very different as well. When it comes to traditional linear TV, you're buying a point in time. Show it to everybody watching this program either overall in this moment or some geographic subset. That's pretty much the way it works. Uh, streaming is much more like digital where you're buying on a per thousand basis and then you can target that in based on additional data. And so that timing piece of it, we, we actually really focused on the linear side first and we're the first ones to crack that market um, and still continue to do a lot in that space. It's around 50-50 in terms of viewership now in the US, which is where we focus as a company. Um, but the money overall in the industry is still much more weighted towards the linear side in part because of the really high profile stuff, live sports, those sorts of things. So that data piece has been really critical. And like I mentioned, we started out in the measurement side, but when I joined the piece that I was tasked with focusing on was the flip side of that, was okay, we can measure it, how do we buy it? How do we build out tools that are accessible and usable and makes TV feel like a digital channel? Because not just in that measurement side are there challenges, but there's also then, well, how do I know upfront for example, at the moment, we have 35, 40,000 different pieces of inventory to choose from. And then you can make all these customizations and tweaks after that. And so then that puts you in the position where, you know, for the listeners that are, you know, in the AIML space, which I'm sure is most people, sure sounds like a search problem, right? And then and- once you add that in and you pick the things because you've got multiple and they're not mutually exclusive, it's the same market. It's a group of real people sitting in front of their TV. It's also an optimization problem. How do you balance yep. across that, balance that risk? So definitely critical to, to our success for sure. And I suppose as well, if, if your advertiser or your, your media owners are getting a better kind of insight into the effectiveness of these campaigns, then they're more than likely will, will invest more because obviously if they don't necessarily know the return on this. So Tatari really kind of solves, it, it, it gives them a window into the performance and equally allows them to optimize future campaigns, future adverts. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all about that part. It's all about understanding what's happening. Um, and that's that's how the business is set up from the core. That's how our business model works. We don't charge some subscription fee or something like that um, because then our success isn't tied to the advertiser's success. So instead we take yeah. a, a share of, of the media spend. And so if they're seeing results and they spend more, then that's good for good for everybody. Yeah, I love I love the idea, and uh, it's obviously doing very well. I think we say forty one to nearly three hundred heads over 
a relatively short time frame. I, obviously, you you found yourself in product without necessarily knowing you were in product. Uh, yeah. You know, a few years ago, and you've seen yourself. The market is yeah, it is rampant now in terms of strong data and AI product owners or product managers. But there is still that kind of misconception and confusion around what is an AI data product manager and how does it differ from that kind of more classic software product manager? For those listening in, we've got a heavy product listener base, which is great, but equally people trying to break in. And there is, as I said, there is that kind of misconception between the two. So in your experience, in your opinion, what is the difference between the two? Yeah, I would say... I would say there's a lot of overlap. Um, I think it's it's part of what makes it appealing, so don't take it in the wrong yeah. way. But I think that in a way, AI and data product management is like doing product management on hard mode. It's yeah. like adding all this extra stuff on top of it. But for me and everybody else that I work with in this sort of space, it's part of what makes it really interesting. As a product manager, you, you love solving difficult problems. Not impossible problems, but difficult ones. Uh, I think that... Broadly speaking, there's some stuff that really comes in that's really different. And then there's skills that go with that. I think patience is critical as an AI and ML product manager. Things yeah. just take longer because you're exploring and you're inherently innovating in different ways. I think in more classic software product management, you're innovating more in the way that you plug things together, the way that you design the experience versus necessarily doing things that are truly novel. Um, and it's kind of more akin to hardware in that in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, plus you've got this extra stage of research and development, which just isn't really a thing unless you maybe describe product discovery as R&D, but it's, R&D is where you don't know what's going to happen on the other side. Is this even going to work? How long is this going to take? You think estimates are, are hard in engineering? It's way harder in data science and machine learning. Um, yeah. Another thing that I think is key is, is the deep context aspect for your partners. When you're working with engineers, um, you really want them to have an understanding of the business problem, the customer, their needs, um, and the empathy for that. But you don't have to have that. Um, it's not a requirement. It's not necessarily tied to the outcome and the results that you deliver. But when it comes to AI and ML, the data science and ML engineers, they really need to understand that because so much more of the solution in a classic software PM is determined by the product manager and the product designer. Yeah. But in the world of these AI and ML products, data science and machine learning, the actual solution really comes from there. And it generally emerges rather than being, oh, I know what to do. I'm going to do that. It's much Mm. more iterative. So I think that's a really key part. And then speaking of the design side, many aspects of product design is like following best practices and applying all of those things um, and leveraging patterns and putting it together into a coherent experience. And a lot of it's about connecting the dots. When it comes to this AI and ML stuff, a lot of it is very like greenfield. You're solving problems that don't have these proven solutions and you're working with data and varying levels of data fluency in your customers and Mm. helping them understand and, and use that, especially in the type of AI ML that I tend to focus in, which is less of that visual AI ML um, and more of that quantitative data uh, side of things. Well, I think for anyone listening, I think you probably uh, absolutely nailed that in terms of the brief. And uh, it is interesting, isn't it? Because the pace at which AI or kind of data and AI is moving at the moment, 
the patience piece is probably even more important because you're leaping into the unknown, the classic kind of software development life cycle. That's not really necessarily changed. I think because of AI, it's probably changed a bit now. But, you know, the AI, it's interesting you say that the the kind of the product solution is almost being defined by the ML and the data engineers, whereas actually from a software PM background, it's actually the product team, the product designers. And I thought that's really interesting. And how, how did you find that transition? Because I know you know, you, you're not necessarily from a machine learning background. How did you find that transition into that? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Mm. Um, I think product management is, is inherently filled with these big leaps. One of the big ones going from an IC to a manager. It's, mm. it's such a strange career. You get a voice at the table and an opinion in the ear of a CEO, especially in a medium-sized company, so early in your career. But then when it comes to actually managing people, it takes many, many years for most people to actually get to having direct reports and, and managing product managers. And so I think you kind of have to get used to that. And I think that that translates a lot into expanding into this space. For me, I found that experimenting and building out individual features of this nature within a traditional PM role is really a good way to get started and start yeah. to try those things out. And I was doing this in 2015, 16. Um, it was a little bit harder back then because there was much less available off the shelf. Today, yep. the things that you can plug in, like if you want to grab and use like a, an LLM such as OpenAI's tech, it's very accessible. Now to build a product out of that, especially a business out of that, is particularly challenging. Um, but to build a feature or a capability or improve some part of a workflow is much more accessible than it was before. So I think that's the place where I would start is dipping your toes in and not asking for permission of, oh, I want to be working in this AIML space. That's the stuff I want to do. Look instead at what are the problems you're already solving in your role and look at how can these things fit into it. Think about where there's taking knowledge and putting it into the system accounting for uncertainty, looking at optimization and, and taking those parts or looking at language. That's certainly a part of it, being able to explain things better and translate information. So there's a lot of ways to, to mess around with it. And something I tell product managers all the time, trying to bolster their resume. One of the best things you can do is not a course. Um, mm. One of the best things you often can do is a project. Actually build something out and ship it, especially in this era of, of no code. Um, and all the things that are available now. Take something that solves a customer problem, especially one that you have yourself, and build it out and feel it out and and you'll learn a ton along the way and figure out if it's the thing that you actually want to do because there are a lot of things that make this area seem very appealing from the outside, but it is it is challenging. And if you're already a product manager, you know that product management itself is like that. So, Yeah, no, it's a really good advice and some, some, some tips for people listening on that who may be a, interested to break into product or transition from a kind of more classic software PM. So you know, some rather tips there. And I I know, I think turn of the year, obviously it's been a slightly unusual year, 2023 is going to be yeah. one we remember for probably all the, the wrong reasons. But we've also seen the, an implosion uh, of gen AI product startups. You know, you mentioned about the LLM, the open source, how accessible the, these models are now. But off the back of that, there's been a huge amount of Gen AI products launched. And as a product manager, product owner, in your kind of experience, what makes a great data and AI product? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really good question. I think the Gen AI piece is such an interesting one. 
Mm. Because certainly in the mainstream, it really redefined what AI meant for for a while there to say AI was was just not a thing that you did. There's machine learning product management. There's data yeah. science product management. The AI was this, you know, that what we now have been reconditioned into thinking of as AGI, artificial general intelligence. And so it kind of really lowered that barrier a little bit, which I think is great because yeah. artificial intelligence doesn't have to be this crazy, complicated thing. If you think of playing chess, that's a little bit more complicated, but you think of playing checkers or something against a computer, that's a form of artificial intelligence. It's very narrow, but it's artificial intelligence nonetheless. And so I think being able to like bring that sphere in a little bit more and be able to talk about it in a more accessible way is really good. When it comes to what makes a great data and AI product, in many ways, it is no different to the rest of product. One of the things that my mentor, Gib Biddle, um, who used to be the, the VP of product at, at Netflix, um, yep. is he refers to it as DHM, delighting customers in hard to copy margin enhancing ways. And I think for data and AI products, they're a really great tool for that hard to copy and margin enhancing ways. The job is still very much around how do you bring that to make it something that delights customers? Because when you've got lots of data, which is one of the hardest parts of many AI challenges, many AI products is sourcing a significant amount of data. Um, and if it's public data, it's eventually going to be sourced by somebody else. So looking at ways you can do that, that's defensible and has some sort of moat. But then there's so much augmentation as well as automation and intelligence that comes out of these capabilities. That's where the margin enhancing comes from. Very high yeah. leverage. Um, so I think that comes in. And then the specific thing to data and AI that I would add on, and that's a real trap that you can fall into if you don't think about it, is that the best AI and ML products don't feel like it. Companies like Apple have been yeah. building ML-based features for many, many years, and they never referred to them as any of these things. And people probably never thought of it that way until we started all hearing about everything AI this year and late last year. Um, and then they s sort of eased up a little bit and like, okay, we'll refer to it as machine learning so that you know that some of these things are happening. But the best things you don't even notice are, are happening. So that's something that I would look for. That's how you find that delight is you just solve the customer problem in a way that you couldn't before. Yeah. Well, it's really fascinating you say because I think what you've seen is companies are sticking AI at the end of their business name. And actually, when you kind of look under the bonnet, is it true artificial intelligence? Is it really true machine learning? And in, I was speaking to someone about, about six months ago who was doing computer vision 20 years ago for NASA. Yeah. And he was saying we didn't call it computer vision. It was We were looking at rock samples on the face of the moon, but we were using image detection. Back then it was just you know, data analysis. We were looking at things, but now you're right. I think ChatGPT's done this because it's now made it so accessible and in the public domain that all these companies yeah. now have probably got wind of the hang on a minute, we can jump on that bandwagon. In your opinion, do you think we're at the kind of the bottom of a very exciting hype train or are we at the top of one where we kind of now need to reset and go again? Mm. That's a good question. I th I think that we have hit the top, we've plateaued a little bit. Yeah. But I don't think that we need to reset. I think that's just going to happen on its own. Yeah. I think this the application of transformers in this way and and the, as the kind of feeding technology into making an LLM, I think broke this really 
remarkable ground where what was previously a dozen different fields of artificial intelligence and machine learning. You had computer vision, you had audio, you had all these different categories that were just completely disparate. And then now there's this like unifying technology underneath in the transformer, which means that expertise and knowledge and innovation can be passed across all of those technologies, which is basically going from, okay, we've got this, let's just call it in a smaller number, but we've got 10 fields with 10 people working on it. Now we've got 10 fields that are kind of indirectly got 100 people working Mm. on it, which just means things can move forward more. So I think that the train is running away from us. Um, It's going slow at the moment, maybe through a little bit of an intersection. We've seen this crazy year that we've just had, but I think there's plenty more to come. Um, And so getting comfortable with it as both a user and consumer, but also as a technologist, I think is is really key because it's going to just be a part of how we operate. But I don't think it's going to take over everything and that being a software PM is redundant by any means. Uh, I think there's just going to be different ways and approaches. And it may be that many aspects of these AI and ML type pieces become more of a a platform-based team in the same way that data platforms have been that or software reliability engineering where they kind of sit behind the scenes and serve internal teams. It may be that some of these aspects go in that same direction. So I think as an overall company and industry, lots of change still afoot. Um, but I don't think it's disrupting the role of a product manager as much as some might have feared in the beginning. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think there is obviously with with anything new comes immediate fear. And obviously there's this kind of the, the doom mongers out there that think we're going to be replaced by robots. But I think, I think it's there to drive efficiencies. And if that is brought into, say, a classic data engineering or BI engineering environment, that can drive incremental gains in terms of time or efficiencies then ultimately you're going to have a more effective team as a result of it. It's not, it's not coming in here to, to replace people. And I think you're right about the, the, the trains left the station because I think the rate at which this has accelerated, um, you go back to the cloud boom where obviously you had all these, these cloud vendors coming on and all of a sudden it was like, what's the cloud? Oh, wow. It's like, you know, we're putting our data in somewhere which isn't here. Whereas actually what's happened with AI, it's the, the, the tangible products that are being released, there's so many variations of them that yeah. it's more about the education piece now, I think, about saying, well, this is what you can benefit from. Like health tech, for example, some of the stuff they're doing yeah. in that is generally fascinating. Um, but I think you're right. We maybe are just slowing the pace down until maybe we we take stock and then go again. But there's no there's no going backwards, I don't think. No. I don't think so. And I personally think that that's a really good thing. I think this is a really interesting step forward. And I think the cloud space is, it's less um, mainstream parallel, but as a technologist, I think that there's a lot of parallels there is it was this point where a new amount of leverage was introduced where it wasn't, you had to go get servers and fork out this cash and be able to do that in order to get something up and running. And it was this idea that you could just plug into the cloud, somebody else's uh, platform and technology. And so yeah. I think that's a, that's a really exciting opportunity. Uh, so uh, that's kind of where I think we're, we're going is it's just going to unlock new things, new ways of looking at stuff and new ways to solve your problems. Absolutely. And I think to, so, so bringing it back to Tatari and obviously you, you can say as much you're allowed to, I guess, but in terms, in terms of you, Tatari, how much of an important factor is AI going to be moving forward and what, what can we expect to see or, or hear coming out over the next kind of six or 12 months? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
I can't say too much, but I think I could say a decent amount. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a central part of of what we're doing. Um, there's a lot happening on the media buying side of things. So measuring it is has long been in this space and continues to be. Um, but so much of it is around how do we bring that forward? We were previously going, how do we take data from two weeks and bring it up so that you get it the next day? In a way, it's now we're going, well, how do we get it a week in advance or two weeks in advance so you can have predictive analytics? And then when you've got predictive analytics across tens of thousands of things, that's then overwhelming in a new way. It's very useful and actionable, but then you've got to then boil that down. And so that's just kind of this continual cycle. So um, there's a lot happening um, in the things that that we've been doing. Over the years, we've been building out these individual point solutions, solving the individual jobs to be done within that performance marketing cycle. Um, and the long-term vision has always been um, being, being able to automate in an augmentation way, which I think is a really interesting nuance to keep in mind when you're building out these types of capabilities. Um, not every user wants automation. And not every industry needs automation where it's done for you. Sometimes that is a scary concept and sometimes, and in many cases, it's not optimal. You want to be able to use machines for the things that they're better at than people and you want to use people for the things that they're better at than machines. While that's still very much a thing. Um, Maybe one day that that won't be a challenge and it will be about self-fulfillment, but I don't think we're there yet and I think it's going to be a while. And so what we've been focusing on now is bringing those things together into sort of an ensemble and optimization model to be able to automate in an augmentation-centered way uh, the planning experience. So building out your media campaigns fully for you, but not in a black box like a lot of you know the Facebook ads and the like of the world where you have a few levers to pull and you wait and see what happens. Yeah. Instead, it's it's much like a traditional media plan it's actually built for you by the machines. And so it's just as if your colleague had done it for you or an agency had done it for you. It's just there ready to be looked at, tweaked and monitored or to get comfortable with it, figure out what it says and be able to explain to your boss why you did that. Um, so that's one thing that we've really been focusing on, which is which is pretty cool. Um, it's been years in the making and pulling those pieces together. So that's in a, in a beta now with a few of our um a few of our favorite advertisers. Exciting. And so that'll be that'll be out really soon. Uh, and then another part is for those that are familiar with TV, which I don't know how many that is. Um, it was traditionally bought on audiences, which was men twenty five to forty four, and that was about as fine grained as you would get. And just getting in front of those people was often the outcome that people measured. Or Estatari kind of really focused on actually measuring commercial outcomes, like customer acquisition cost and return on ad spend. And so what we're doing at the moment is we're reintroducing audiences in a new way, in addition to the way they were done previously, as more of a bottoms-up piece. So looking at individual households and then building that together. So there's a, there's a whole stream of work in that. But one of the really interesting ones we've been doing is applying the principles of embeddings that some may be familiar with from the, the LLM space but applying that to household attributes. So you've got 250 different attributes of a household, age, gender, household income, interests and tendencies and all those sorts of things. Taking that information and boiling it down into an embedding that represents an audience in a single row with many, many columns and a series of numbers. And then measuring the actual spatial distance between those as a measure of similarity between audiences to help you find your next best advertising opportunity so that's one that's also coming up really soon so 
there's some there's some really interesting stuff happening and it's it's all powered by data which is which is the number one ingredient when it comes to this sort of stuff exciting yeah i could speak about this all uh all morning it's uh it's a really interesting yeah. space and obviously for anyone listening who as I kind of uh, is receiving adverts, you know, the reality is Tatari may be responsible for helping those advertisers really make sure that those uh, adverts are to the right audience. Uh, yes, yeah, fascinating product, uh, super interesting conversation. And I, you know, really appreciate your time this morning, Bryce. You've offered some really good insight into the product space. I'm, I'm sure people are going to be really uh, kind of clamoring to find out who Tatari are and having a look at them. So uh, yeah, thanks so, so much this morning. It's been uh, been my pleasure to have you on the show. Absolute pleasure, Alex. It was great. Thanks, thanks for Bryce. Thanks for making the time and having me on. Pleasure.